a national magazine ran a contest several years ago where they offered a free vacation to the person who could give the best essay on the topic, what's wrong with the world today? I'd be pretty tough, right? Well, as it turns out, the person who won the contest also wrote the shortest essay, four words. It read, Dear Sirs, I am. I am. And you know, I'm thinking, unfortunately, I think that guy hit the nail on the head. When it comes to the question, what's wrong with the world today, the answer has got to be, we are. And I just want to remind you, family, uh, it's probably I'm a little ramped up. It's been a couple weeks since I preached, but it's time for us to stand up, Christians. It's time for us to get our heinies back to church, get back to work, start making some tough choices, start making some tough decisions, and start standing on the true Word of God that's being compromised everywhere we look. The world's counting on us. It's time for us to get busy. We're soldiers of the cross. There are two dynamic voices that are coming after each one of us every day, all day, and they have names. And the first one is called the author of life, the alpha, the omega, the bread of God, the bridegroom, chief shepherd, consolation of Israel, crown of splendor, faithful and true, the firstborn from among the dead, firstborn over all creation, first to rise from the dead. He's called the great high priest, the great shepherd of the sheep, the head of the church, the heir of all things. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the prince of peace, the righteous judge, teacher, the great amen, beginning and the end, the bright and morning star. He's the gate. He's the life, the truth, the way. He's Emmanuel. He is Jesus Christ, and he's in this building, and he's coming after you every day. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, he offers this promise. He who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, 6. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, he offers this invitation, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever, anybody in here that would believe in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. His name is Jesus Christ. He's in this building. He's why I preach, and I'm crazy about him. That's the first dynamic coming for you every day. The second one, unfortunately, is the one I want to talk about today, and it's not going to be a whole lot of fun because he's nasty, and he's got a title too. He's called Beelzebub, Baal, the deceiver, liar, the evil one. He too is a prince. He's called the prince of darkness, the fallen one, the accuser, Satan, the devil. And family, in case you didn't know this or realize this, he is alive and well on the planet Earth right now, and he's coming after you every day, and he wants you. And he wants your family, and I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 with me this morning, we're going to talk about a few of the ways this guy's coming after us these days in case we didn't already know it, and then we're going to look at some of the weapons that God has given us to stand up and fight him, and I think that'd be a good thing to do on Father's Day. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You cannot surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed some fig leaves together and made some coverings for themselves. You remember that passage, right? I remember years ago, I was walking through the kitchen. I was just a little guy, probably seven or eight years old, I don't know. And my mom was baking homemade sugar cookies for VBS. By the way, I understand our VBS went really well, and I can't thank you enough. Fifty of you volunteered to help. That's amazing, and uh, I'm sorry I missed it. But anyway, my mom, you also know my mom. She was very good to us. There was always plenty of cookies around our house to eat. But this particular day, she had made these cookies for VBS, and there was a sign on them that said, hands off, do not touch. Sugar cookies. I said homemade sugar. Do you hear me? Homemade sugar cookies, in my opinion, are one of the greatest arguments for the existence of God. And these cookies said, hands off, do not touch them. In fact, they said, if you eat these cookies, bad things will happen. Blood will flow from your nose. Hair will fall from you. Terrible things will happen. From all the other cookies in the kitchen you may eat, but of these homemade sugar cookies, you must not touch. In fact, on the day thereof you eat of them, you will surely die. Okay, the note didn't say all that, but it did say, keep off, hands off. But I looked at those cookies. Cookies, man, you know? What is it about them? Especially when they say hands off. And I started thinking things because they were pleasing to the eye (laughs) and good for food. And I thought would give me a little wisdom. So I started having some stupid thoughts. Thoughts like, maybe she didn't count them all. Surely won't miss one, you know what I mean? My mom couldn't see five feet in front of her, so maybe she couldn't count either, you know what I mean? I said stupid thoughts. But here's my question, family. Why do we have such a hard time keeping our hands off the cookies in life? What is it with us? What kind of hold does this master of temptation have on each one of us? Because I'm telling you, really bright people, presidents and governors and senators, Find themselves in humiliating circumstances every day. CEOs of large companies are going down every day. Everybody I know, everybody in this room, all of us that look like we got it all together, all of us in here know the pull and the push of something that we know that we want that says, hands off. It's trouble. Stay clear. People will shred their reputations and destroy their marriage, shatter their children and ruin their conscience, mess up their relationship with God and end up in a ditch going after something they know they shouldn't have. What? What is going on here? I mean, it hurts my heart to preach the sermon because I realize that most of us in here, and I said us, have fallen victim to this from time to time. And I also know that in a room this size, some of us are on the edge right now. Some of us are at the crossroads right this minute. And this moron is lying to us constantly. I don't know if you remember this illustration. It happened back in 1984. I didn't use it here then, but probably soon after that because it's such a good one. But you remember when the Union Carbide plant in Bhopal, India, remember I was telling you about that, when it blew up? Killed several thousand people. It was a terrible disaster. Do you remember what killed those several thousand people? It was the leak of an odorless, colorless gas. It killed several thousand people from an enemy they didn't even see was there. I mean, that's bad stuff. How do you defend yourselves against an enemy that you don't even know is there? And I'm telling you, that's what this enemy has done to us. And he's doing to us constantly, tempting us, whispering to us, moving. And it's got us nodding in agreement, and we don't even realize we're being seduced. He's a, he's a liar. When he speaks, he speaks his native language, which is a lie, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44. 
Now, most of the other things that you and I fight off all the time, we see coming. He lumber down the hill like Goliath and take us on face to face, but not this one. He's a sneaky one, this guy is. And I don't, I don't know all the lies he uses. I wouldn't have time to tell them, tell them all anyway, but I, knew, I do know four major lies that have worked on me for years, and I've seen work on a lot of you for years, and what I'd like to do is discuss them with you this morning, and then we're going to have some time at the altar and ask God to give us some wisdom in these days. These days are, these are important days to fight this thing off. Here's his four main taglines, or, or come on, pickup lines. The first one is, the most popular is, God's Word can be questioned. God's Word can be questioned. I think it's, it's pretty significant that one of the first questions asked in the Bible is asked from Satan, because that's how he likes to, to, to operate in the realm of speculation and doubt. Are, are you sure that's what God said? Are, are you sure he meant that? Because you know what's at stake here. It's the validity of the Word of God. Is God believable or not? See, it's not the question of whether or not you believe in God. It's the question is whether or not you believe God on this particular. See how subtle that is? He says to Eve, Eve, honey, did God say you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Are you sure that's what he said? Well, as a matter of fact, ding dong head, that's not what he said. But he twists things just a little bit. And then he gets us thinking in ways that maybe will let us out of something. You know what I'm saying? I, I just read this last week. Unfortunately, I've, I've read this almost every month since I've been in the ministry, where a senior pastor has fallen victim to uh, an affair with a gal in his church and has wrecked the church. And you know how that happens? Satan whispers to the guy. You know what he told a woman? He told a woman, well, your marriage is a mess and my marriage is a mess, and God has put us together. And he said, since uh, he's put us together, we can go ahead and do this because we're already married in God's eyes kidding me. You said that to her, right? See, Satan's whispering to this guy, adultery. Are you sure God said never? Ever? Did he mean you too, even in this circumstance? Gets him questioning just enough that he blew off his vows to his wife, and she blew off her vows to her husband, and now everybody's in a mess. And he's playing this game with our minds all the time. See how it works? Again, it's not about trying to get you and I not to believe in God. That'd be stupid. Eve walked with God. He's not going to try to get her not to believe. He's getting her and us to believe. Is this what God said? Did he really say this about this issue that you're being tempted? Is that what God said? I mean, this is one thing in your life. Are you going to believe God or not? Is he 100% believable? And I'm telling you, one of the biggest ways he's got us doing this in our culture these days is to question the Word of God, to change it up a little bit so it makes us comfortable. And we've all done that before, you know? We explain it away. You start thinking about all the social issues we've got right now that, you know, I don't particularly stay away from the pulpit, but we haven't talked about them much, but homosexuality and the LBGT community and the transgender stuff and all the, the, the abortion, all the social things. He's got us moving around the Scriptures so we can just do anything we want to do. If we're uncomfortable with it, we change it up. And I'll tell you how this works. We've all done it. We'll read something in the Bible that is clear as a bell. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. We read that, and then we get in our small groups, and we start talking about it. What did Jesus really mean by that? Well, I've studied that one, so I can tell you what he really meant by that. Here's what he meant by that. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But since we belong to the richest nation the world has ever seen, we don't like that passage of Scripture. And so we talk about it, and we dumb it down, and we water it down until we get to the fact where we can live just any way we want to. 
And we've done that with so many things. And if we're not careful, we actually change the Word of God. It's dangerous stuff. Thomas Jefferson one time sat down with his Bible and took out a pair of scissors and just cut passages away that he didn't like, let them fall to the floor. Now, most of us wouldn't be that bold or aggressive, but I'm telling you, in our minds and our hearts, we do that all the time. We treat the Bible like a cafeteria. We take the parts we agree with, put it on our plate. Normally, they're the things that we don't struggle with. And then the things that are hard to digest, we just ignore completely. See, you see what the lie is he's trying to sell, right? The lie is you can question God's Word and change it to make yourself comfortable. That's a lie. And you and I have got to be uh, reminded to be on guard against the challenge to the clear Word of God anytime we see it. We are living in days, family, where we're going to have to stand on the Word of God. You understand? Firmly on the Word of God, with love, lots of love. But we're going to have to stand on the Word of God. Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31, David said, As for God and His ways, they're perfect. The Word of the Lord is flawless. So let's be clear, the Word of God cannot be questioned or changed to make our, our society and our culture comfortable. It's the Word of God, period. Now, one of the best ways to defend against this is to just be in the Word constantly. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way just like we are. So when you have these temptations coming upon you, you look it up in the word of God and you're going to find out that Jesus has been there. I know exactly what you're going through. Let me come alongside. I know a way out. Stay in the word, family. I don't care what they're saying out there. You stay in the Word of God. It's true, and it's right, period, and we can't change it. Second lie that he's trying to sell us is that you're missing out. <laughs> Eve, honey, are you sure that God said you can't eat from that tree? I mean, what's the matter with him? Doesn't he love you, baby girl? You were missing out, man. I'll tell you, if you were my daughter. Now, personally, I doubt if that tree was any more desirable than any other trees in the garden. All kinds of fruit, all kinds of trees. But here's what Satan's trying to get her to understand. You're, you're missing out here. God's not letting you have any fruit. And so the tempter's actually saying to Eve the same thing he whispers to you and I every day. You ought to do this because, really, you're entitled to it. You deserve this. And if you don't get this fruit, somebody's violated your, your rights. There's an author, a, a professor and psychologist called, his name's Don Baker, and he said about 10 or 12 years ago that this culture has become a culture of entitlement. Now, he said that 10 or 12 years ago. I wonder what he'd say today. He said, if we don't get what we want these days, we feel so inside, we just sue somebody. And he gave several examples, and we've used some of them before. One of them I looked up today because I wanted to see if the San Francisco Giants have a home game today. They do. They play the Phillies at 4.30 this afternoon. It's Father's Day. I looked that up because several years ago on Father's Day, uh, the San Francisco Giants got, they got sued because they gave Father's Day gifts to only fathers. Imagine that. They got sued for that. Some uh, college professor sued her college for hanging a mistletoe at the Christmas party. And the one I've told you before just blows me away. A psychic got awarded, not just sued, awarded $986,000 because her doctor told her to get a CT scan, and she said it impaired her psychic abilities. I would have thought she'd have seen that coming. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Listen, we're living in a world right now where we stand there and look at the cookies. And we stare at those cookies. And I'm just telling you, family, if we look at them long enough... Our mind's going to convince us we deserve those cookies. They were ours to begin with. We're entitled to them. 
if you're playing fast and loose with your expense account at church, racking up miles you don't have, taking money out of petty cash, your mind's going to tell you they've been underpaying you for years anyway. You got that coming. That's yours anyway. My husband doesn't even try to understand me. My parents don't want me to have any fun, so I might as well just do what I want to do. My wife, doesn't. she's not warm and loving to me at all. And so if I want to have a little sexual fulfillment with some things that are supposedly out of bounds, if I want to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and look at a website that I shouldn't to have a little fantasy land, I got it coming. I deserve it. And we do those things, and we start getting things we don't think we deserve, like guilt and shame and heartache and dysfunction. You see what is at stake here, don't you? The first lie was all about the believability of God. This lie is about whether or not God's good. Is God good or is God mean? Is he trying to hold things back from us? The lie is he just wants Christians to be miserable. And so the temptation is disobedience of fun. It'll bring you something that you don't have because you're a Christian. There's something in your life that you're missing because you're trying to live right. And if you just get it, you'd be fulfilled. But what's God, what's God got against you? What's wrong with him? He won't let you have that. And we start thinking that way. This isn't fair. Why is he treating me this way? And think of the lies we hear every day on this thing. Why shouldn't we go ahead and have sex outside of marriage? Everybody else is doing it. That abstinence stuff is so old-fashioned. Cain's been preaching that for 40 years. That is so crazy. It's not crazy. It's in the Word of God. But Satan will tell you, everybody's doing it. Why would God give you a desire and then tell you you can't use it? Why can't I cheat on my taxes? There's loopholes. Everybody. That's what everybody does. Does God not want me to take care of my family? Why can't I go ahead and watch some of these videos? I'm not hurting anybody. Got to have something against Hollywood, you know? Lie after lie. Now, uh, every one of us in here have one place in our life right now that's etchy, and we're not sure about whether we should do it or not. And that's where Satan's going to pound you over and over and over again. Why don't you go ahead and do it? Why can't you do this? Why won't God let you do this? What's the matter with him? I'll tell you how we combat this. I don't know what your forbidden fruit is, but here's how you combat it. You don't eat it because God wants what's best for you. Jesus said in John 10.10, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. And I'm not an English major. You can tell by the way I speak, but I know what full means. It means full. You can't eat another bite. And we need to be on guard against any suggestion that following God will make us uh, complete, will make us incomplete. Because anything we do not get out of obedience, we're not going to miss it anyway. Very quickly, the third lie he's trying to sell is you can determine your own standard. And this is a big one, and this one's so attractive, and it's sweeping our country. Because everybody wants to be right, and everybody wants the last word on Twitter and Facebook, and everybody wants to show how wonderful they are, and we don't want anybody's feelings hurt over anything ever, and everybody should just get along and do anything they want to do. Look at verse 4. The serpent says to the woman, you'll surely not die, for God knows that if you eat of this one tree, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God knowing good from evil. See, knowing good from evil is not saying you'll have a little moral discernment. Nothing wrong with moral discernment. He said you'll be like God. You eat from this tree, and you can openly declare, I can live any way I want to. I'm smart enough now to choose what's right and wrong in my life, and I'll do whatever I feel like doing. Thank you very much. That's tempting. This, this thing that God has forbidden is not what they're going to have for lunch. He's forbidding them to try to make up their own mind what's right and wrong. You trust me. 
But Adam and Eve assumed with their new mental ability, they'd be able to make some wise decisions apart from God. And that's what's going on in our country. There's no reason to go to church anyway. You guys have been, not you guys, but you know, you guys have been out for a year from COVID. You didn't miss it. Didn't change your life anyway, did it? Don't even go back. No, re- no need to read the Bible. That stuff's so outdated anyway. I mean, look at the stands on this. Look at the stands on this. Those Christians are so crazy anyway. Just do whatever you want to do. Just live any way you want to live. We ought to get along with everybody, you know? Why should anybody have their feelings hurt about anything? I mean, we've got to, we're smart people here. As it turns out, Obi-Wan Kenobi was right. All truth is relative. It's a lie. And it never works. Ever. I mean, it amazes me the things that we do over and over and over again that have never worked. Right now, everybody's talking about how we're moving towards socialism. I, I hope we're not. Have you ever seen a country that's gone to socialism? I, I, I mean, it's those things that we just keep doing over and over and over again. And, and one of the things that happens over and over and over again in society is they get to a place where everybody thinks they can just do anything they want to do. It never works. Look at history. One of the classic examples, the one we can see clearly, is Israel and the pattern that Israel did in the Old Testament where they'd do real good for a while and then they'd get really bad, really bad, and then God would spank them and they'd come back around. Remember that cycle? Well, every time they got to the cycle where we are, where there was lots of corruption in the government and lots of greed and sexual immorality everywhere you look, the Bible always said what happened. Judges 21, 25. It was a time when every man did what was right in his own mind. Every time we do that, it gets us in trouble. We need to be on guard against the modern notion that truth is relative. It is not. That's a lie. God's Word is the standard. God had the first word in Genesis 1-1, and I promise He's going to have the last word. You and I were not wired to try to figure out good and evil. We were created to have a relationship with God and trust and obey Him. This has not been real fun. I hate to come back and preach one of these, but I'm about done. The last lie he told was a big one, and that is this. There's no judgment. I mean, he didn't even beat around the bush on this one. He just told her straight up, you're not going to die. Are you kidding me? And so as it turns out, one of the first doctrines that Satan tried to deny humankind is there's no punishment for sin. No penalty. Just do whatever you want to do and live any way you want to be, and everything will be okay in the end. That, my friends, is a lie too, and we all know it. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, uh, but they want to enter the kingdom because only those who do the will of my Father will enter the kingdom. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we preached in your name. We taught in your name. We did all these ministry things in your name. And he'll say, get away. I don't even know who you are. <laughs> hey, get away from me. Jesus said, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many will find it. He said this, not me, okay? Narrow is the road that leads to life. Only a few are going to find it. And you know why that is? Because when you're on the wide road, you can do anything you want. You can be anybody you want. You can do anything you want. You can carry anything you want. You start following Jesus, you've got to start dropping things off. You've got to start putting things down. You've got to start focusing laser on Jesus Christ and his word. That's life. and That's here the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, we're going to spend some time talking about the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ with him up here, thanking him for the promise that he started a good work in you and he's going to carry it to completion. Justified, 
sanctified, glorified. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, there's punishment for sin. There's life at the cross. Come and talk to me.